I'm James Robson, and with me I have Nick Lowe, reader in classics at Royal Holloway, University of London, Edith Hall, Professor of Classics at King's College London, and Theatre Director Helen Eastman, Associate Artist at Oxford University's Archive of Performances of Greek and Roman Drama. We're here to explore women in the plays of Aristophanes, what his female characters are like, and what, if anything, they had in common with the real women of classical Athens. So, Nick, I was going to ask you first, we have plays of Aristophanes dating from the mid-420s BC, and then suddenly in 411 BC, so midway through his career, we get this explosion of women on the Aristophanic stage. What's all that about? Women had never had much of a presence in comedy. In Aristophanes' earlier plays, as you say, there's very little of a female presence and they tend to be very marginal kinds of figures. And then suddenly, in 411 BC, right in the middle of his career, we have two plays produced within a few weeks of one another, the very famous Lysistrata, but also the equally brilliant, but less widely produced today, Women at the Thesmophoria, which, for the first time, put the lives of ordinary Athenian women on the stage and made them the centre of comedy and made them a subject that you laugh with with and at. And the reasons for that seem to lie partly in comedy's relationship with tragedy, because tragedy had always, but also increasingly during Aristophanes' lifetime, been exploring women's experience, particularly women's experience as victims, as marginalised figures, as dispossessed presences in their world, as a way of engaging audiences very strongly with the experience of suffering, loss and devastation. And one thing about that particular year, 411 BC, was that there had been enormous losses in Athenian manpower power, the Athenian overreach in attempting to extend its empire uh, into Sicily had gone disastrously wrong, and the war was turning against them. Uh, Their allies were in revolt, the Spartans were building bases on their territory, and there's a real sense of the world having changed. And those things come together in a really fascinating way. Lysistrata is more about the external situation. It is a highly political play about a desperate moment in the war and the experience of the lost generation. And so Lysistrata is very much a tragic Euripidean-style heroine. The interesting thing about Lysistrata is how brilliant a central idea it is and how much cultural agency that's continued to have because the idea of women going on a sex strike as a way to protest is so fundamentally simple and theatrical and asks so many wide-ranging questions about power because really it's the only thing that they have to wield in terms of having any power. That, as a play, it's continued to be produced and produced and produced, particularly at key political moments in later generations. So obviously, as a protest against the invasion of Iraq, we saw 7,000 readings of Lysistrata across Europe and America. So it's continued to have a kind of iconic cultural relationship, despite the fact that the characterization of the women is quite reductive. I love this idea of, uh, especially in the Lysistrata, I think, of using women to explore the topic of war. It's what happens in the Iliad, for example, too. We have five books of war in the Iliad, and in book six, we suddenly see what life is like inside the city of Troy. And uh, you get those kind of glimpses, I feel, in Lysistrata, too. 
Nick's talked a bit about the women in the plays, Edith, about how they got there, and also talked a bit about uh, women in tragedy. But our sources for female lives in ancient Athens are pretty few and far between. What can we say in general about women's lives and experiences in the city in this era? We used to think that women were very veiled and secluded and didn't have much access to public life at all. That was the pretty much dominant view until about 100 years ago, that whereas in some other Greek cities like Sparta, women uh, were quite powerful and could exercise alongside the men. They couldn't in Athens. That has been substantially revised in the light of increased interest in women in religion. It's quite clear that women were quite prominent publicly in rituals which took place on the Acropolis, the processions and the uh, sacrifices of the city. They also were allowed a role at the public funerals of the war dead as well as at private funerals. The problem is that there's an ideal consistently expressed by all the male ancient sources, and most of the Athenian sources are, of course, male, that women should be not very much seen and not very much heard and that they shouldn't be named in public, that actually having your wife's name known was in itself a suggestion that she'd be too free with her favours. And we're fighting that ideal all the time. The most famous source of all is in Thucydides... It's set in 431 when Pericles is speaking to the entire public of Athens at the funeral for the war dead and famously tells the women not to be too noisy and not to be anything other than their own natures and and to make sure they didn't get spoken about too much, you know. How do we read that? People always used to read it as a description of classical Athens that actually the women were silent and subdued. I see it as prescriptive. They're making so much noise and they're so angry at the loss of their sons and their husbands and their fathers and their brothers. They're howling like when we see video of Middle Eastern traditional funerals, the noise that the women make, and Pericles is trying to shut them up. And I think in 411 you had got a civic crisis and I think you had got a lot of very, very angry women being very, very voluble and in some way or another that is mediated in these plays. The final point is that the high priestess of Athens from at least about 430 BC, who was an extremely prominent, respected elderly virgin from a very, very old family and may well have been in the audiences at comedies as well as tragedies, is one of the very few women who I think was able to be there, was called Lysimachi, which means she who sets the army loose or she who dissolves the army almost identical to the name Lysistrati, Lysistrata. There's undoubtedly the shadow of the real live priestess of Athens underneath Lysistrata, which raises the question whether she had said, boys, enough is enough. I think it's really interesting, this tension between the ideal on the one hand and perhaps how life was lived by women on the other, and then also the changing roles that, that women inevitably had during the Peloponnesian War as more and more menfolk in the city were dying and so women were inevitably having to take on different positions, perhaps even be breadwinners of households and things like that. The concentration in your description there has been largely on the citizen women of Athens, but could you say a few words about the rest of them too? Because Athens in the late 5th century had a huge number of resident immigrants as well and also a large slave population. It did. In fact, you know, there were far more in total slaves and resident foreign women. It's incredibly difficult for us to access their lives. They do appear in minor roles in Aristophanes. They come along 
with their mistresses. But just as Aristophanes, the heroes, uh, tended to be from this sort of upper working class or peasant community when they were men, he just takes the same class, it seems, when they were women. The joy of the Lysistrata is that they come from many different cities, that we actually get a Spartan woman called Lampito bounding onto the stage, who's incredibly strong. Uh, We get women from different places, so we get regional variants. We don't get any really important female slave, though, like Xanthias in The Frogs. We don't, don't get that. We do not get comic female developed slave role. Sure, and most of the slave parts are small, and we also get these lurid characters, these prostitute figures as well, which I guess our best guess is that they would come from the immigrant class as well, because prostitutes tended to be of foreign origin. Well, actually, we don't even know. There's a huge debate over whether when you have one of the ubiquitous dancing girls who comes on to the festival scenes at the end, or sometimes they come on to represent an abstraction like reconciliation. We do not know whether these are men ridiculously dressed up in padded clothes to look like naked girls or whether they're actually naked girls. We actually have no idea and don't believe anybody who says we do. Okay. In 411 BC, Nick's already talked about the Lysistrata and the women at the Thesmophoria, where we get presented with uh, women on stage, housewives on stage suddenly. And what strikes me is the fully formed nature of the stereotype that seems to be connected with them. So, Helen, could you talk a bit about the housewives of Athens as represented in Aristophanes' plays? There's a very strong comic stereotype of the lazy, drinking, very funny, bad-mouthed housewife that comes through in Lysistrata, although there is quite a lot of variation within those characterisations. I mean, it's important to remember it's comedy, and they are stereotypical portrayals in the same way that those of the men are, and therefore, while they might be rooted in some kind of truth, they are also rooted within a comic tradition. But the important thing is that they're there, and in some ways a presence in comedy, and they are funny and they are powerful, is almost more important than exactly how the stereotypes are working, because invisibility is almost the worst thing socially. To be invisible from the comic scene is worse Mm. than to be visible and highly satirised, because once you're there and highly satirised, you're sort of an accepted part of the social fabric. Something that people are probably familiar with in highly segregated societies on gender lines, particularly in the Mediterranean world, is the way that women's society forms a kind of little world within the world. And one of the things you see very strongly in Aristophanes' plays about women is that the women have their own network of communications, of religious festivals, of mutual support frameworks that the men are excluded from. And sometimes there is an actual religious taboo. Uh, The Thesmophoria is a festival to which men were not even allowed to know what was going on at the festivals. So within that secret, self-contained but highly networked world of women, there's an enormous possibility for comic conspiracy plots. And I think one of the things that strikes us very strongly about Aristophanes' plays about women is the sense of women's solidarity and their ability to act as a society within society which has its own strength precisely because it's excluded from male discourse and male participation. So Aristophanes' plays, as you've suggested, can be a very good source for social history for what went on in women's lives because women feature so little in some of our sources. I mean, Thucydides' history of the Peloponnesian War famously has next to no women in it. 
But in what way was the portrayal of women in Aristophanes' plays reflecting some of the male paranoias about female activity? Something you notice from the 4th century orators is that Athenians are deeply paranoid about legitimacy of citizenship. And one of the weirdest of all the Aristophanic fantasies is the idea that uh, women are swapping babies around and faking pregnancies and then using slave babies smuggled in the back door and passing them off as their own children. There's also enormous paranoia, although I think comic paranoia to a large extent, over the legitimacy of one's own children. There's an image in so many of the plays about women of their husband going out the door in the morning and lover coming in the back door ten minutes later. And this in part reflects the tensions created by Pericles' citizenship law, which restricted citizen rights very tightly to those of Athenian birth on both sides. A lot of political feuds are fought out through attempts to cast aspersions on one political opponent's citizen birth. And you can see those anxieties, those paranoias being played out not entirely to comic effect in the way that the comic stereotype of women as sex-crazed and congenitally duplicitous emerges in Aristophanes' comedies of the late 5th century. OK, thank you. OK, thanks again to my guests, Nick Lowe, Helen Eastman and Edith Hall. The Open University. For more information, go to www.open.edu forward slash iTunes U.